Welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. Whether you have a great marriage or one that needs improvement, this is the show for you. Since 1994, we've used biblical principles to help hundreds of couples, just like you, find relationship success. As you listen, you'll get practical tips, knowledge, and motivation that will help bring greater intimacy and happiness to your marriage so that you can enjoy the relationship you've dreamed of. And now, this is Marriage by the Book. Hello and welcome to the Marriage by the Book podcast. I'm Rick Porterfield and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you listening. And if you would, I'd really appreciate it as well. If you would like and subscribe and comment and share the podcast, help us get the word out about the biblical help and hope that we're offering for marriages. You know, what God did for our marriage, and he did a lot. He took us from divorce to happiness in our own marriage and then to where we're helping other people. And he's doing those things for others. We've been at this since 1994 and just seen over and over again how God can help other people with the same principles he showed us. So today... I'm going to tell you how to kick insecurity out of your marriage. And you can do this. You know, insecurity, men and women both deal with it. You know, we don't want to admit it, but we do. Uh, At work, people deal with insecurity. With their extended family, you know, maybe in-laws or siblings or whatever. In in social situations, we deal with insecurity. In parenting, anybody ever felt like uh, they were insecure about their parenting. Am I, you know, am I doing this right or, or what? Am I messing these kids up or you know, whatever we think about this stuff? And another place we deal with insecurity is in marriage. You know, I believe we've all felt inadequate more often than we want to admit. And, and then there's this, maybe you've heard of this, this imposter syndrome thing where, you know, a lot of people sit around thinking, man, I can't do this. You know, I'm really not good at this thing that they have me doing. And I hope nobody figures that out. So anyway, insecurity, you know, home, our marriage ought to be a safe haven. And it can be, it ought to be a place where we feel secure and not threatened or insecure in some way. And our home, our marriage can be a safe haven for us. And that's where we want to get to. And you can eliminate insecurity there, okay? Now, first, let's define insecurity. We need to know what we're dealing with and make sure we're all on the same page here. So here's a def- dictionary definition of insecurity, okay? It means to be subject to fears, keyword, doubts, etc. Not self-confident or assured. So really, the primary definition, the primary word they gave there to define insecurity is fear. And really, that's exactly what insecurity is. It's fear, plain and simple. So when we deal with insecurity, we're dealing with fear, a facet of fear at least. So to eliminate insecurity, we need to eliminate fear. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you something awesome. The Bible tells us how to eliminate fear. And it's found in 1 John 4.18. Now, this is pretty simple. Think about this. 1 John 4.18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Perfect love. Okay, what that's talking about there 
is God's kind of love. You know, First John 4 is from the New Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek originally. And the Greek word there for God's love, that perfect love, is the word agape. Maybe you've heard of that before. But that's God's kind of love. And what it's telling us there is that love casts out fear. So let's define now agape love. We've identified, you know, fear is the insecurity is fear. Okay, so now this love casts that fear out. So let's figure out what what are we talking about here, this agape kind of love. Okay, here's the definition of this. It's a divine selfless love, which will go to any length to attain the well-being of its object. Now think about that. If your spouse is the object of your love, then you will go to any length to attain that person's well-being. This is how God loves us. This is how God loved us in Christ, in Jesus, and this is how God's telling us to love other people, including our spouse, okay? You know, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So this is how we're supposed to love others. So anyway, so this type of love implies a decision and a commitment. It's a matter of the head more than of the heart. It's not based on feelings. It involves judgment and the deliberate assent of the will. So, you know, I'm considering this situation. Do I want to love this person? Do I really want to commit myself to them and to their well-being? And then I think, yes, I do, and I, I bend my will to doing that. So now, here's my synopsis of that definition of God's kind of love, okay? It's an unwavering decision and commitment to the well-being of another person without regard to self. Okay, that describes God's kind of love. Again, my synopsis. It's an unwavering decision and commitment to the well-being of another without regard to self, okay? So, again, that's God's kind of love. And there's a difference in God's kind of love and typically in what we would call human love. So, let's define human love. We're defining things here. So, human love tends to be based on feelings. And because of that, it'll just be all over the place. You know, my love for you, how I'm going to act toward you will depend on how how I feel, how you feel, how you're making me feel, how you're performing, whether I think you're doing what you ought to be doing in the relationship, etc. You know, that kind of love can actually increase insecurity. You know, it can cause you to walk on eggshells around people. You know, when somebody's walking on, when they say, you know, we're just on eggshells all the time, what they're really saying is we're, we're insecure all the time. That's what they're saying. So this perfect kind of love, though, casts out fear, casts out insecurity. So we need to apply agape love, you know, God's love in marriage. You know, God's love gives. It's not based on feelings. It's based on a commitment and a decision. You know, th- that kind of love drives out insecurity. And, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that God's love never fails. And you can do this. You can love your spouse with this kind of love because Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So it's there to tap into and to use. We just need to do that. So anyway, we need to be purposeful. We need to be purposeful about loving our spouse God's way, you know, with a decision and a commitment rather than with the human kind of love, which is you know, based on feelings, how I feel, how you're making me feel, how you're performing, those kinds of things. And that will change marriages. You know, I'll tell you, probably most people are thinking, you're, maybe, maybe you are listening to this thinking, I love my spouse. I'm good to my spouse. Okay. But are you loving your spouse God's way or with human love? Is there a, really a commitment there to their well-being? Okay. Again, consider 1 John 4, 18. We read it just a couple of minutes ago. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love 
casts out fear. See, there's the key. When I operate in God's kind of love toward my spouse, it's going to cast out fear. It's going to cast out insecurity. And the scripture goes on and says, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So we can love our spouse and actually help drive that fear out uh, of them. So he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We can perfect love in our relationship, so to speak, and help drive that fear out. So God's love applied in marriage will drive out insecurity. And again, that's a form of fear. you know. And one person can do this on their own. It's great if both are doing it, but if just one of you grabs a hold of this and begins to do it, it will do wonders in your relationship. Now, here's a practical application of what I'm talking about. And I've, I've used this example in previous podcasts, but you know, th- there's just so many lessons you can teach from one example. So we're going to use it again. But Rebecca and I, before, when we first got married, the first couple of years of our marriage were horrible. Uh, we just thought about everything. We were wanting to get a divorce, didn't think it was going to work. Went to a secular marriage counselor, a PhD psychologist, the best in the area where we live, were living. She told us we were the only hopeless couple she'd ever seen and that we needed to get a divorce. But then God got a hold of us um, and began to turn things around for us. But still, we would get into arguments, okay? And typically, here's what would happen. Rebecca and I would get in an argument and, and she was the more insecure of the two of us. And she would say, a lot of times, I want a divorce. And she really didn't want a divorce. She was just afraid I was going to say it and didn't want me to say it first. So, but she, now here's another key thing here. She and I had talked before this and we decided that divorce wasn't going to be an option for us, that we were going to work things out. So we made a decision. We made a commitment. Divorce isn't an option. We're going to work this out. We're going to make our marriage work. We're going to love each other. So when she would say that she wanted a divorce, and I would be so mad. I would be, my emotions would be riding high. I would just be, oh my gosh. What I felt like doing was telling her, fine, you can have a divorce. You know, there's the door. Just leave. You know, that's what I felt like doing, but I did not act on my feelings. See, that would be like human love. Okay. I didn't act on my feelings. I acted on the decision and the commitment we had made. So what I would tell her, even though I felt like telling her something else, I would say, no, divorce isn't an option for us. We're not going to get a divorce. I love you, and I'm committed to you, and we are going to work this out. And I don't know exactly how we're going to work it out, but we're going to. And Rebecca now says that, you know, that happened, I don't know, three or four times or whatever. And she began to believe because she knew I was mad, but I wasn't acting on emotions. She began to believe that I really was committed to her and I wasn't going to leave her and divorce her. She began to believe that. So you see there, God's love, it's a decision. It's a commitment to the well-being of another. It's not based on feelings. It doesn't let feelings dictate what it's going to do. So that drove that insecurity out of Rebecca. Okay, it drove it out of her. So that's a practical application. It's something you can do. Just begin to love your spouse based on the decision and commitment rather than based on how you might feel, and it'll drive out that insecurity. Now, here's something else. First John 3.18, this is a great scripture. It says, love not in word only, but in deed and in truth. So we shouldn't just say we love people. We ought to actually love them in our actions as well. So love not in word only, 
but in deed and in truth. And remember I said, you know, that, that love is a commitment and a decision, okay? God's kind of love. So you could say this. You could say, be committed, not in word only, but in deed and in truth. So I shouldn't just say I'm committed. I should demonstrate that by my actions as well. And those things will drive out this insecurity, okay? So it's an unwavering decision, God's kind of love is. And, uh, you know, the word decide, I love that word. It comes from the Latin uh, de sedere, which means to cut off. So when I make a decision, I'm cutting off all other options. So if I decide I'm going to love Rebecca, if we decide that, that divorce isn't an option, then I'm cutting off any other options. We're going to have to work this out because divorce is not an option. I want to love you. We're going to make this work. So it's a real commitment. So anyway, that's the main topic I wanted to talk about today and how you can remove insecurity in your marriage. You can just blow insecurity out of the water. And okay, next part here, as always, I want to answer a listener question and this is one that has to do with step families, or you might say blended families, or bonus families, okay? These are different terms we use for the same things nowadays. And before I get to the actual question, let's talk a little bit about blended families, okay? You know, blended families have problems too. You know, Rebecca and I have counseled with, and we've worked with a lot of blended families, and we've had people tell us things before, like, you know, I knew what went wrong in my, my first marriage, and because of that, I really thought it wouldn't happen again. And that's not so. You know, statistics actually show that divorce is higher in second and third marriages than in first marriages. Now, that doesn't mean it's hopeless. I'm going to tell you, second marriages and third marriages, there's complete and total hope. If we'll do things God's way, you have a 100% chance of success in your marriage, whether it's the first one, second one, third one, whatever it is, you know. You've got a 100% chance of success, so don't think for a minute there's not hope. But statistics show that prior experience in marriage doesn't necessarily help a second or a third marriage, okay? Now, just doing the same thing is not helping, okay? There's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, okay? And I'm going to read verse 27 also for context. And as I go, uh, as I go, I'm going to explain this, okay? So maybe grab a Bible and look at this with me, hit pause or whatever, come back to it later, because this is really worth looking at. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, 27 and 28. Okay, it says, verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Okay, that's talking about married people, right? Someone who has a wife, okay? So he goes on and says, do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? So that's talking about somebody who's uh, not married you know, anymore. They were married. They're loosed from a wife. So they were married. They're not now. Maybe their spouse died. Maybe they got a divorce, whatever. This person is now single. So he goes and says, are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So in verse 27, he's talking about people who are married or who have been married. Okay. Now, verse 28. But even if you do marry. Okay. So here again, he's talking to people who are, you know, who have been married rather. He says, even if you do marry, you have not sinned. So if you've been married and remarry, he's saying here, that's not a sin. Now that'll rock some religious boats. Okay. And we'll do another podcast about this divorce and remarriage. But he says right here that if you remarry, it's not a sin. Okay. And it goes on and says here in verse 28, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So a virgin in this context is someone who's never been married. That's what this is talking about. So what he just said, is if you were married, it's okay to remarry. 
I'm sorry, if you were married, it's okay to remarry. And if you've never been married, it's okay to marry. And then he says this, and this is really what I wanted to get to. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So if you've been married and remarry, or if you've never been married and get married, he says here, you're going to have trouble in the flesh, okay? Trouble. There's going to be challenges in your relationship. The Bible tells you to expect this. So the point in reading this is to show you that just because there are some issues in your relationship, that doesn't mean there's something something wrong with you or that you've married the wrong person. And I also want you to see that prior marriage experience doesn't cure our problems, okay? Prior marriage experience not, is not necessarily going to help. Knowing what God says in the Bible about relationships and knowing how to apply that to your marriage that will deal with those problems that we're going to encounter, and it's going to result in a strong and a happy and a successful and a divorce-proof marriage, and that's what we want, right? Okay, so let me just say this. I may have said this in previous episodes, but if you see someone who has a happy marriage, a solid marriage, you are not looking at someone who's just lucky in love. You're not looking at someone who just happened to marry the right person. This isn't just happenstance, okay? You're looking at the product of effort. If someone has a successful marriage, you are looking at the product of effort. And you can take those same efforts and you can have that same successful marriage. Anyway, I wanted to lay a little groundwork there. Now let's get to the question, okay? Here's the question that relates to blended families. Here, here's the what the person sent in. How do you handle a grown stepdaughter coming over every weekend to sleep over. Okay, to answer this, I want to point out a few things in the life of Jesus, okay? This is, again, maybe rock, rocks and people's thinking on things, but first, Jesus himself was raised in a blended family, okay? A bonus family, step family, whatever you want to call that. Joseph was not his biological father. God was and is his father, Correct. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were what we would call a blended family or a bonus family or whatever, again, you want to call that. So with that knowledge, let's answer this question. Let's look, I want to look at an event in the life of Jesus to do that. In the latter part of Luke chapter 2, okay, Jesus is 12 years old, and Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, Jesus have gone to Jerusalem for the feast. So they're on the return journey. The feast's over. They're on the return journey. And they were a day's journey out from Jerusalem, and they realized that Jesus wasn't in the caravan anywhere. Evidently, they were traveling with a large group. They thought Jesus was somewhere with somebody else. They realized he's not here. They couldn't find him. So they went back to Jerusalem and started looking for him. It took them three days to find him. And when they found him, he was in the temple, amazing the scholars there with his answers. So what did Joseph and Mary do when they found him? Remember, again, Joseph is Jesus' stepfather, and Mary is his biological mother. So Luke 2, 48 says what happened when they found him. Okay, here we go. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Notice that the biological parent, Mary, took the lead in correcting Jesus. Now, that's significant. The Bible says things for a reason, okay? And that's significant. Things tend to work best in blended families 
when the biological parent takes the lead in discipline and correction of their children. So regarding the question, what do you do about a grown stepdaughter coming over and spending the night every weekend? The biological parent really needs to be the one who prefers their spouse over the child and corrects the situation. You know, the couple can talk and agree on the rules behind closed doors. That's a good idea to do that. But then it's best for the biological parent to be the one who delivers uh, or communicates to the child. You know, whether the children are grown or whether they're still living at home, that's the way to handle correction, okay? And it may not always be that way. There can come a point where a stepchild recognizes and receives a step-parent or a bonus parent or uh, whatever as a true parent. Then you're able to bring correction and instruction as if you were a biological parent, okay? So that's the answer to that question. And again, if you have questions, please send those in. We, we covet your questions, so to speak. Send them to info at marriagebythebook.org, info at marriagebythebook.org. And my prayer for you today is that you'll commit to love your spouse God's way and that you will drive insecurity out of your relationship and you will see your relationship blessed as a result and that everything's going to work out for your good and for God's glory in Jesus name. Amen. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed today's Marriage by the Book podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and hit the subscribe button. For additional resources or to go deeper, visit marriagebythebook.org. See you next time.